Pet Boy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast. Hello there. Uh, this is the first ever Catboy Talks Funny podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having a listen. Today, going to be talking to Dom Jolly. Now, we recorded this chat on Thursday of last week, which was the day uh, that Dom flew in and overnight everything had happened in British politics. We start off quite heavily talking about Boris Johnson and his government. Uh, we go on to talking about Trigger Happy about his writing, about uh, being a dad and embarrassing your children, the travel books growing up in Lebanon, um, Glastonbury, and of course his show Holiday Snaps, which you've missed now because it was last Friday night, as Dom pointed out on stage, made me look like an idiot. But uh, enjoy the podcast. I'll be back soon with episode two. And this is Dom Jolly. Catboy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast. All right, here we are then. Let's uh, sound check wise. What did you have for your uh, breakfast today? Don? I didn't have any breakfast. I woke up and I just sat and I had a cup of coffee and water on the plane. Oh, so you stopped. So what time did the plane get in today? I know you've come uh, in overnight. Eight fifteen. But I was just saving myself for a manushi here. I follow you on Twitter. You are a voracious tweeter. I am certainly when stuff's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I couldn't help but thinking last night you've picked the wrong night to come to Dubai uh, because. It's political turmoil in the UK. It's, it was madness yesterday. And my background, weirdly, is not a comedian. My background is political. I used to be a political producer in ITN yeah. in Westminster. I'm a politics obsessive, did politics at uni. And yet, I, I literally have been at all sorts of things. When John Major resigned, I was in number 10, all these things. There's never, ever been a day in British politics like yesterday. It was just utter madness. So would you say, I mean, how far back would you say you'd have to go for something like this? Or do you nothing, think this is... Nothing. It was un. Parallel. It was literally, it was a sort of, it was Boris Johnson doing the sort of Trump bunker. I yeah. honestly expected this morning, because the problem was, you know, as he was getting rid of people, he was, <laughs> people resigning, he was sacking people. And then I got on the plane, the plane took off just he sacked Gove, which was just a yeah. sort of wild card. Someone just described him sacking Gove as like when you watch Airplane and all this weird stuff's going on and suddenly a nude woman just runs past. Yeah. Just for no reason at all, completely <laughs> randomly. It was just everything about it was weird and suddenly I had to stop. I couldn't tweet. But then I found out they had Wi-Fi on the plane so I could start again. It was utterly crazy. And the scenario was... I honestly thought I'd land in Dubai today to find out he'd locked himself in the bunker yeah. of number 10 with Nadine Doris and Jacob Rees-Mogg and just taken hostages. Or say. It's, it's crazy. I almost didn't want to come to work today because I was so obsessed with watching the 24 news feed yeah, yeah, yeah. last night. And, and the thing is, normally, I find it exhausting. And I, let me ask you this about... I know you love politics. Do you sometimes feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall the way things have been? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's very weird because I, I, I am sort of quite opinionated, but I'm genuinely not political. You know, everyone's like, oh, you'd like Keir Starmer. I, I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not Labour. I'm not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not any party. I'm just really interested in politics. I, I love the sort of gossip and the excitement of it all. But I have to say, the day Boris Johnson got in... I mean, I know that kind of guy. I went yeah. to school with that kind of guy, and yeah. I've met him several times. I knew... It, this was just poison, what was going to happen, especially yeah. after Brexit. And I've never been more angry in the last three years. So that's why I'm so sort of, I'm actually not even happy today he's gone. I'm happy he's gone, but I'm sort of deflated, depressed, yeah. actually, that we just let it happen. Because it's so 
obvious when he looked at him that guy was just in it for himself when you see the uh, the people who have resigned and it's all like well i've finally realized oh, yeah. you're like come on come on but also <laughs> just the the you know the reason he stayed in so long was because he appointed people purely on the basis of loyalty like if they were really yeah. loyal to him which is why it was a great line from keir starmer you know a, a bunch of uh, of of li- the the lightweight train or whatever oh, I mean, yeah they they're just absolutely, those people, people like Nadine Doris, Jacob Rees-Mogg, they wouldn't get hired in a bakery. I mean, it's just, they're never going to get another job. So they knew they had to stick with him. And it was ri- literally like a last stand in the bunker. So I found this is what, um, this is not sounding much like a comedy podcast. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound funny at all. But, but when I was watching them arguing yesterday yeah. in the House of Commons, Keir Starmer and Boris, they both kept laughing. And I couldn't help but thinking, it's almost like a posh boy's debating it's like an well, eaten debating society well, well firstly this is the thing ever because keir starmer's sir keir starmer everyone thinks he's posh he's not posh yeah uh, he went to a comprehensive he's not posh he worked his his socks off he yeah moved up he was director of public prosecutions he did a serious job uh, i don't think he's massively charismatic i don't really know what labor stand for yeah but i think he's a decent man and i think the real problem with boris johnson is he's, he is a funny guy like yep. he, he's a guy you know i do the same thing if he gets in any sort of trouble you deflect with humor and mm-hmm. he can do that he's smart but because of that people didn't see the damage he's doing and everyone's like even calling him boris yeah he's not boris like anyway this is too serious for a comedy thing but yeah, you know, i'll right. tell you the things that made me laugh about it i was watching this morning i was watching bbc world which is all i could get in the hotel uh-huh. here and there's they got the live shot of the door of number 10 yeah uh, and, and and they've got these two very dull a presenter and a correspondent talking to each other about what's going on and then literally any time anyone walks in and out of number 10 they just stop their conversation mid-sentence hurl abusive questions at that person like yeah. are you going to are you going to die what's going to happen and then straight back in it, the whole thing is a bit of a circus and it is everyone gets so excited about it so as you mentioned earlier you started off doing this yeah well like, this is why it's so weird to me because because before I did trigger happy tv I did my I did my serious stuff first normally you do stupid stuff first and then you get more serious yeah i did it the other way around and yeah i was obsessed with politics and I, I was a diplomat for the european commission in prague for a year and then when i came back i worked for itn in parliament for two years as a producer and so i used to go and get those interviews on the green and stuff like yeah. that and i was there when john major resigned and 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 sort of challenged the opposition and stuff like that so a lot of my ideas so firstly i know exactly what's happening now there's nothing yeah. like a tory leadership campaign but all my comedy ideas came from that I got fired from ITN in the end for just getting weird things in the background happening in my interviews. Someone kicked a football. I was interviewing David Meller and it hit him in the face. And I had clowns fighting in the background while I was talking to Paddy Ashdown. But then when I started doing stuff before Trigger Happy, uh, my stuff was quite political. There was a Tory leadership campaign. And I knew that because I'd done it myself, I knew all the interviews were happening live in front of Big Ben on that green, St. Stephen's Green. It's just free telly. So I turned out, I got a band of mariachi Mexicans and because Portillo's dad was Spanish. I thought that's that's close enough. Uh, And so we claimed that we were uh, Portillo's Mexican cousins come over to support him in his leadership bid. So anytime anyone started talking, we'd all sidle into shot in the background and start playing that. There was a... A Tory chick. There was a chicken that was uh, basically saying that one of the candidates was too chicken to debate, right. and the chicken would follow them around. So we kidnapped the chicken and sent a hostage video. All this stuff was right. happening, and in the end, my greatest moment was they got so annoyed with they didn't know it was me but it was me doing all this stuff in the background i turned up the next round of the leadership elections and they built 
uh, scaffolding and they built, they'd raised all the interviewees sort of 10 feet off the ground so that no one could get the background. So I did some thinking, Catboy, and I (laughs) rang up a bunch of acrobats and there's this glorious moment when someone's talking live and suddenly you just see the top of an acrobat's head (laughs) coming in and they're on a human pyramid. And in the end, they made it illegal. So you're actually not allowed to interfere with public broadcasting that. Even though there's that guy that screams into... Uh, yeah, in, you know all sorts of stuff, but yeah, it was it was a real training ground for me because obviously I first saw you on Trigger Happy. Yeah, I was addicted to that show. Yeah. but when I, I remember seeing the first episode, and it's funny, 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 and then you suddenly the pace changes, and you're doing an interview, be it Michael Caine or somebody like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. stood in the streets well, doing the, those interviews. You're quite right. Are I mean everything? I learned so much about being funny by doing a lot of stuff on a Paramount Comedy Channel, which was a satellite channel. Yeah, and and in and. All my stuff was political. I was targeting Cool Britannia. Uh, we were just being, you know, we were chasing Peter Mandelson around, putting Millennium Domes in his garden. We yeah. were doing all sorts of weird stuff. And my luckiest break was when I got to uh, Channel 4. They saw the stuff we were doing. They said, we'd like you to do a show. But the woman who commissioned it had just finished doing Brass Eye with Chris Morris. And yeah. she said, I've just been in court for two years. I can't <laughs> go through that again. She yeah. goes, is there any way you could do what you're doing? But just don't make it political. Just make it funny. And that was the biggest release for me because I think I'd always have been trying to persuade people look at me I know about yeah. politics and it just gave me this just trigger happy the only real trigger was like is it funny and the interviews that we did with celebs yeah uh, that totally came from what I used to do at ITN because I I always used to wear the same suit they never asked we never lied to these people we just turned up they said where are you from we'd say channel four yeah they just assumed we were channel four news we never lied no one ever asked who we were from and it felt so real yeah yeah it was real and so a lot of stuff in Trigger, you know, you'd have a go, and it's all done on the fly, but you'd have another go. When you were doing a celeb, you only had one go at that, because yeah. there's lots of it. If you watch any of the celeb interviews, I scratch my head when I want something to happen in the of background, course. and some of them just went terribly wrong. It's like, it was great. I got KAD. We got KAD, who was obviously the sort of massive BBC foreign correspondent. She'd been in Tiananmen Square and stuff. And we went to interview her outside the Frontline Club, which is a sort of foreign correspondence club. It was a terrible joke. She comes out. I start talking to her. What's it like being a foreign correspondent under fire and stuff? And suddenly Sam, my cameraman, shouts, incoming! And both me and Sam (laughs) hit the floor. And then we get up and we've got the bit. It's funny. Yeah. And then I can see she's not taking it well at all. No. So I do what I usually do. I just ran away. Yeah. And I left Sam to deal with it. And she tried to confiscate the tape off Sam. This is a woman that was going on about Chinese press freedom. And then <laughs> we did Fergie, Princess Fergie, whatever yeah. her name is. We just wandered. We were walking down back from another hit. And we saw this drinks party going on in the Duke of York barracks in Kings Road. So we just blagged our way in, walked in. We had this tiny little camera. And there was Fergie chatting yeah. away. So we just riffed it. I just went up, put a microphone in front, and I said, you're live on Good Morning Mexico. And it really was. There was just a stupid camera. And so she starts talking, and I go, well, do you have something to say to the people of Mexico? And so she's like, well, I'm a very good friend of Mexico, blah, blah, blah. And I go, sorry, we have gone to commercial break. Please stay exactly where you are for yeah. the next three minutes. So when we come back, we are in exactly the same place. So for three minutes, Fergie just stands still like a statue while everyone else is around her. And I go, okay, we're coming back. Tres, dos, uno, and you're live with Mexico. And suddenly I felt someone grab my shoulder, got Pull pulled out, got arrested and stuff. But it was amazing. But did was, that ever get used? No, God, by the time we got back to... 
our office, we had a letter from Carter Ruck. <laughs> it was, I mean, was... when I started in radio, the late nineties, they got me in making prank phone calls. Oh, really? And I was that was me stocking trade yeah, back yeah. then. I mean, I know from back then how many you have to make before you get one that's oh, yeah. good enough to get on air. Then you've got to get the releases. Yeah. Ah, which... back then, never got any releases. That Re- was the joy here. Yeah. Right. Trigger Happy was the first time that I had to get releases, and even with the celebs. Because it wasn't hidden camera, there was this thing called London at Large, and they would it'd be a fact sheet every week, and it would tell you that you know Jeremy Clarkson signing a book in Dublin right, okay. or whatever. So we'd turn up; they'd know we were filming. We never told them where we were from, so that was fair game to me. We never got consent from that. Yeah. But occasionally they'd get really irate. Rick Waitman, <laughs> I got him outside somewhere. I don't know if it was funny. It just made me laugh. I, I had a massive bandage wrapped around my head yeah. with fake blood all over it. And he comes out, and I, he goes, what on earth happened to you? I go, don't worry, I just got hit by an ambulance, but I'm fine. Is this we, one where you start getting faint? Yeah. Yes, I, I, I go, love that. And, no, I don't think it ever went out, this one. Uh, I, no, I, she, I did it several times. I've they, done that yeah. several times. But, and I said, you know, I've, uh, I said, don't worry, I'll go to hospital afterwards, but, you know, you're the important one. Let's get this interview done. I'm a professional. Yeah. So he's like, all right. And then I just keep talking about marmalade and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> no idea. And in the end, he was very sweet. But then when he found out that was a joke, he went absolutely crazy and he was trying to sue us and stuff. So yeah. it's weird how some people do overreact. But I with think. the members of the public, they're the ones you need to get a release Members of the from. public, I did. Although we got very creative with that as well. So the, yeah. the, the rule at the time was if, if someone was identifiable. So there's a lot of shots in Trigger Happy where... Someone sitting on a bench facing out. Sam would go behind the bench, so you see the back of them. So part warden, and then I would appear in front. So you see me, and you often don't. So sometimes we could get away a bit of blurring or whatever. Yeah. But you know what? Most of the time we got releases. We got very good at it because actually the whole point of Trigger Happy was never to be nasty to people. No. And often they were very relieved that there was just yeah. an explanation for why they'd been asked to judge a, a, a scout's hide-and-seek badge or something. So yeah. it was but great. The, when, you, when you do a great one and yeah. you don't get the, and you oh, can't use it. It's, it's, it's the, honestly, it's one of the worst feelings in the world because yeah. they're all off the cuff. You kind of, and you, you get one and you're in the middle of it and you're chatting and you just realise this person's just going with it and you're just... Perfect. And, and you just and you and you manage to finish it, and then you have to wait while they try and get the release, and they come back and go, no, uh, it it kills you. You think I'll never get that again, you know, like that. In the exactly the same way, music was a big part of Trigger Happy, and it was like I would put a track in the edit on a sh- on something, and it would look amazing and and just really work. And then we wouldn't get clearance for that track. I, c- I just. I found it really difficult to put another track on because I'd already that was the one I wanted. You know, there's a lot. It's the of next that. thing I've got written down what? because the music on Trigger Happy TV yeah. was as big a part of it as the pranks as I think, you. I think it was a bigger part actually. I mean, it was always about that because deep down I wanted to be a musician. I was in a band called Hang David. We toured America. We were a kind of rubbish cure, uh, sort of indie jangly pop, uh, and I didn't really have much talent. I can sing, but that was it. And and I'm obsessed with music. And sad music. So when Trigger Happy came out, it just wasn't even a brain, a no-brainer for me. It was like we did all this stuff that I thought was quite funny. But Hidden Camera had always been Hidden Camera seen in, com- in the comedy world as kind of the lowest rung. It's what yeah. idiots do. If you're smart, you do scripted stuff. And to me, it was beautiful. It, it mm. should have been beautiful, but it wasn't. It was always a bit Beatles about and stuff. And so when I did Trigger, it just didn't it didn't strike my mind. I wanted to make it something beautiful. So every time we did something, and I took it into the edit, and because I'm an ex-goth, all my music's quite sad I, I just put this music on and i actually cut trigger happy to the music so often i'd extend a joke because i wanted to get to a particular piece in the music which is very different yeah. from how people do it and then when i handed it into channel four they'd never had 
a comedy show with a soundtrack before. So we went to a focus group and I had to sit looking through a window all these people were going, music's a bit sad. I was just like hammering on the window, you know, can we use some yeah. cartoon music? No! And that, that must be hell for you because oh, it, it, yeah. it elevates it. Oh, yeah. Like you said, if yeah. you put sort of circus music on it, oh. it would be Beatles about. Yeah. The, the jokes would just be yeah, as, yeah. as fun as they are. But, but they wouldn't, because it, it, Trigger Happy had a sort of sensibility about it, which was, people always think of the big mobile, but the big mobile was so different from the rest of Trigger Happy. That's why I always put it before the title sequence. The rest of Trigger Happy was about me having a shattering nervous breakdown and yeah. sad dogs beating each other. And people would watch it and think, why am I feeling a little emotional when two cartoon dogs are bashing each other up? Just the whole mood of Trigger Happy. I cut it like an overly produced album. I didn't ever want you to have a moment to breathe and go, this is rubbish, we turn over. It was that. Did you and release so, them as compilation Oh, yeah, albums? yeah, they were massive. Because so they're I, yeah, amazing. I had, I had three soundtrack albums that all went platinum, yeah. which was amazing. But one of the real nightmares was because music costs so much to license, and we only licensed it for England, when it became huge, I sold it to 80 countries. It cost them more than... It cost me to make the show to license the music. So in all countries apart from Germany, Germany bought the entire original soundtrack. Uh, but that's the only country. Even in America, I held out. MTV wanted it. I said no. And in the end, it went out on Comedy Central with a sounder-like thing, which was... Like the music uh, you hear in Burger King when it's like yeah, the song but not the song. Yeah, yeah, And actually, weirdly, so there's a band called Granddaddy, for instance, that I used in it. Uh, yeah. She's simple, she's dumb, she's the pilot. And the drummer said to me, he was watching the show in America on Comedy Central. He goes... That sounds like our song, <laughs> but it wasn't our song, you know. Like, so, so in a way, I'm kind of chuffed that it's still been a massive hit globally. But they've never seen the proper show. That's what's crazy. Yeah. But they might next year, Catboy, because there's just really? a sniff of a possible massive film coming. Because again, I think we talked about this year, last time you came in, which was years ago. We were talking about, you know, and I hate saying this now because yeah. I've heard you say it a few times, yeah. and I've heard you've been asked about being the predecessor to YouTube. Well, not the predecessor, but I think. Obviously, if Trigger Happy had happened, Trigger Happy happened at this really extraordinary time where suddenly you went from literally having massive cameras and needing a sound man yeah. to what at the time was like punk. Like we bought the first, it was called a VX1000, Sony VX1000. Now it looks terrible quality, but yeah. it was that, you know, we're on radio, but that size. And uh, you could just buy it for two grand, which is a lot of money. Yeah. but. Not like 20 grand, which is what the things were. And you didn't have to be a camera operator to do it. And suddenly you went from having to hire a grown-up crew to follow you around who would probably want to do four hours and have a tea break. Yeah. So we had our own camera and we just filmed and filmed and filmed. But we were still only putting it on telly. Now that, four years later, suddenly people were going, well, we don't need telly. We're filming our stuff. Now we'll just put it on, on the internet. So we were the kind of the frontier. We were the interim. I think. And you would have got, I think, if you'd have been out at that time. Yeah you would have got instant worldwide recognition because of the stuff you're doing, but then you wouldn't have had yes, the but soundtrack. On the, other, on the other hand, uh, well, I would have had the soundtrack because I would have done its thing, but the one thing you lack when you watch things online is that communal thing. And Trigger Happy, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I speak to all 35-year-olds now who are all doing it at the time. They just said, you know, Monday morning you'd come into school yeah. and you'd just be talking about trigger happy because you'd all watched it together and there is an incredible feeling and that's why I want to make this movie that I'm finally getting to make next year. I've been showing trigger happy shows to people and there's something incredible about trigger happy when you watch it at home it's fine it's funny but when you watch it with a group of people yeah. it's insane and actually in my live show which I'm here in Dubai to do one of the things I do is show some stuff from World Shut Your Mouth which is the show I did after trigger happy 
and it's just amazing. I when I when I play the the stuff, I'm watching the audience. I just love it, and you just can see them like cringing and then laughing. It's great. It's funny because that was the thing. It was you'd come home from the pub, yeah. And you'd watch Trigger Happy. Yeah. I mean, there was programmes on on a Friday night on Channel 4, The Word. There was there were, there were appointments to listen. It was and, golden time. Though. I mean, we were yeah. between Friends and Frasier, which was insane. But what I never understood is who the hell was watching Trigger Happy at 9.30 on a Friday because I'd be at the pub. Yeah. The joy, the secret was they, were, they had a repeat on Saturday night at 11 o'clock. And that was perfect time. People piled out the pubs, got home a little bit, you know, happy, and they'd be watching that. Right, you've got kids now. Your kids are what, late teens, eighteen 20s? and twenty-one. So how's that gone? I, the reason I ask about this is I listened to David Earl and Joe Wilkinson's podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chatterbix, yeah, yeah, and I love them. Yeah. I love that open heart surgery. That, you know, I love all that. Yeah. But I heard David Earl in an interview the other day saying he'd taken down all of his material. He did this character called Combo, who was like a fly on the wall, you know, camera in the car. He'd taken it all down because it was embarrassing. For his teenage Yeah, that's interesting. So when my big fame happened, Trigger Happy and stuff, my kids were just born. Literally, Parker was born in 2000 when Trigger Happy was happening, and I dedicated a DVD to her. And then Jay was born in 2004, just afterwards. So their first exposure to me as fame was when I went on to I'm a Celebrity, which was in 2010. And we had a big chat with that, because my wife was like, you know, they're at school. You know, she said, normally you do what you want, you know. And actually, yeah. I, you know, I don't think I behave badly. I might do on Twitter, but not in my shows. My shows, I'm, no. I can watch any of my shows now. I'm not embarrassed by anything. But there was a big discussion, like, what if something terrible happens? Then they'll be bullied at school. Yeah. And then I told them that they all got flown out to Australia and they could hang out there. And so they all went. Suddenly it's fine. Yeah. And my <laughs> wife, the last thing she said to me before I went on, she just said, I, I just said, I'll, I'll just be myself. And she goes, please, don't. no, don't. <laughs> but actually, it was all right. It was fine. And when I came out, there were my kids hanging out with Sean Ryder's kids. It was very strange. Well, if you've got Sean Ryder yeah, on yeah, there, you're not yeah. going to be exactly, the worst yeah. one. Yeah, I love so, Sean. So that was all right. So that was so I was a bit cool and in a sort of weird way, but not yeah. the way I wanted to be famous. But it was cool for that. And then, then really, you know, I've been writing books. So it, the, my fame was a past thing and it didn't really affect them. And then suddenly Trigger Happy and everything's just dropped on Netflix again. Yeah. And suddenly, wham. And also, I'm a, I'm a bit of a TikTok sensation right now, Catboy. I did right. a newish Trigger in 2016. And I did about four different things, including a character called Cycle Lane, who basically just goes through libraries and shops and supermarkets just on a bike, just saying, Cycle Lane, claiming everywhere is a cycle yeah. lane. And someone's taken the audio from that and it's now... Everywhere on TikTok. Do you know what? Because yeah. I've only just joined TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, like you, a yeah. bit of TikTok fame. Yeah, I've yeah. done one popular video. Have you? Yeah, it's in its millions. And I just, everything else I've put on, 200. Yeah, yeah. But I keep seeing the cycle limb yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching thinking, where do I know this from? Well, it's quite, it's quite funny because someone, because that's late Trigappy. That's 2016, yeah. a new one. Because some American thought it was Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. So Gordon Ramsay has just done a TikTok denying it's him and saying it's me. So all that's growing. So it's great. And then I did a thing with this with these guys called the Pin, who are really funny. And during Zoom, during lockdown, they were doing these kind of virtual Zoom chat sketches, and yeah. those got massive. And I cameoed in one of those. I, I can't remember. It was something they were told they had a button. If they spoke, they could be rude to their boss. Yeah. And he 
he keeps going, shut up, Clive, and I'm Clive, and that's gone huge. So kids-wise, I'm pretty hip right now. It's but quite good. Do your kids like, because my kids, you know, it's very similar for me out here. I've got a certain amount of notoriety in Dubai. I've been here a long time now. Yeah. I do a lot of things in schools. Yeah. My eldest boy, who's at uni now, he wouldn't let me near the school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, didn't want to know. Of course, like there's there's nothing your kids, there's a certain, there's a, there's a sort of age group from about six to probably 18 where they, they just don't want, you know, wacky dad. Yeah. There was a period when I was reviewing cars for the Sunday Times and every time I had a car. So I turned out in a tank. Uh, for fifth gear, which was the rubbish right. top gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I turned up in a tank. I just thought, like, my boy's going to be just think I'm so cool. I'm turning up to pick him up in a tank. Yeah. So I drive up and I'm like waving like that. I could see his face. He was just like, oh, no. And then I made him get in the tank. And I was going, this is so cool. And I could, I suddenly realized every kid at school was going, I'm going to be him yeah. senseless. Like, he didn't want that. My son all. asked me to stop. I got a sponsorship deal, <laughs> yeah. and I was getting sports cars, Corvette yeah. Stingrays, the lot. Yeah. He didn't want me picking him up from school. No. He wanted his mum picking him yeah, up yeah, in yeah. a Pajero. Absolutely. Didn't want me there. Yeah. I turned up mad? in an American police car, got on the tannoy. They're like, please stay away. But now, there's still a lot of enough, Dad, you know, like that. Because yeah. I, I meet their mates, and they all think I'm quite funny, so I try and act up. Exactly. And I can see my kids just going... You are not in this gang. Go away. And don't you do you do you ever think back to imagine your dad being like that? Because my he, dad he worked with his hands all his life. Yeah. He's a kind of a, a tough guy sort of persona. Didn't emote or anything. Quiet. Never but cried. That, that's why I think they'll like it. But it's the opposite, isn't it? Because my dad was much older than me. Like yeah. obviously most dads are, but he was two generations older. Fought in the war. Emotionally very. Like that. He was a funny guy, but we never had that kind of thing. He'd never show off for anything, you know, whereas I'm just always going for it. I'm the same. I've done the opposite to that. And of course, my kids have probably reacted against that, you know, and, and they're kind of like much quieter. Isn't I'm definitely weird? the loud one. Yeah, yeah. That's really And true. I married a Canadian, you know, who spends her entire life. She's lovely, but she spends her entire life apologizing for, for you. me. <laughs> yeah, but not, not even when I need it. Canadians just. It's like Tourette's for them. They Innate. just apologize constantly. <laughs> so the traveling, you have done. A lot of travel books now. Have, have you done three or four? I have. So, I mean, really, this is what the show is all about. Because when people come and... When people hear that I'm doing a show... Because I've never done stand-up. You know, I'm not a stand-up. I went straight into TV comedy and stuff. Yeah. And I think people think, well... What are we coming to see here? Like, I do a joke at the beginning. I go, everyone's looking a bit nervous because I'm not dressed as a squirrel and I haven't got the big mobile. And there's a laptop. It's extreme PowerPoint. You know, they think, oh, he's found God or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it's going to happen. And we're going to give him a lecture. And I, I wanted to do a show which explained why, even though it's was completely unplanned, why it's not weird that I grew up in Lebanon in a civil war and then I ended up in England making this hit comedy show and then I start going to places like North Korea and stuff because yeah. when... I was always into blagging free travel. I'm obsessed with travel. And well, shut your mouth, the show I did after Trigger Happy TV at the BBC was the first time I really started... I did a global hidden camera show, you know, and, and so I show some of the things that I blagged in that. And well, it opens at the Taj Mahal. Yes, the it does. Very yeah, it, it very much Mahal. does. And that the budget's gone up there, And right? that didn't go well at the BBC. <laughs> and then when I leave the BBC, I, I sort of... I do a couple of TV travel shows, but what I really want to do is write books, and I start writing for the Sunday Times, doing travel, but it doesn't pay as well as telly, but I love no. it. And then I write my first travel book called The Dark Tourist, and of course, that's now been nicked. I pitched it to... Because what I really wanted to do, I didn't want to make TV shows for these books. I really wanted to like pay my dues and write proper travel books. Yeah. And you can't do the, both at the same time. So when I'd done The Dark Tourist, and in that, I went off 
on holiday to the sort of places you probably wouldn't want to go on holiday to. Yeah. I went to Chernobyl before it was trendy for a weekend. <laughs> Chernobyl went, before it was trendy. Well, it I is like that. kind of trendy now. <laughs> That's uh, a good T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, I, went, I went to North Korea on a coach trip. I went to a war crimes tribunal in Cambodia. I went to Lebanon and drove across Syria. So the sort of things that I really like, I went on an assassination vacation around, uh, mainly because it rhymed, around America, Yes. <laughs> uh, going to all the assassination sites because I'm kind of obsessed with yeah. those as historical moments and stuff. And that book did incredibly well. And it was like, oh, that's great. So I did another book in which my love of Tintin, which is what the show starts with. Tintin, when I was a kid, I was stuck in Lebanon in the middle of a civil war. I couldn't really travel. So I traveled vicariously through Tintin. I had a map on my wall of all the places Tintin had been to. And I said, when I grow up, I'm going to go to all of them. And I have now. And Tintin was a bit of a monster hunter occasionally, the Yeti and stuff. So I went off. I became a monster hunter and I went to the Congo after this thing called the Michaelian Bembe and the Yeti in the Himalayas and Bigfoot. I didn't find anything. I oh, also, was I going to say, because this is Scary Monsters Super Creeps. And super Creeps. And I also realised there was a massive issue with the book. If I had discovered the Yeti just by chance, uh, and I come back and I tell you, Catboy, I found the Yeti. You go, please, you're a... You're a yeah, practical yeah, yeah. joker. Don it's, Johnny you Spal- it's you in a suit. <laughs> it would have been a nightmare. And I'd have spent the rest of my life trying to persuade people. Um, so that, that was the sort of stuff I was doing. And then I did a slightly more serious travel book. And this is the one I talk about quite a lot in the show. Uh, and it's about Lebanon. I grew up in Lebanon, but there was a civil war going on. So I never really traveled around Lebanon when I was a kid, whereas my parents did. And they were amateur archaeologists. And they went to Syria. And the Middle East was a big part of my life. And so when I turned 50, I know it's hard to believe, but I did. Uh, I thought... I'd, I'd like to go and do a book about Lebanon, but I couldn't work out what to do with it. And then I found out about this thing called the LMT, the Lebanon Mountain Trail. And it's a 27-day walk, the length of Lebanon along the wow. mountains. And I thought, I've got to do that. And that's going to be a great book, and it's going to be like a love letter to Lebanon, but also funny. And then I thought, but if I do that, everyone will be like, yeah, but you grew up there. You'll be all right. So I had to take two guinea pigs. So I took one, my friend Chris, who's from Dubai. Right. Who I wanted someone that hadn't really been to the Middle East. So, you know, Dubai. Dubai's entry-level Middle East. It's entry-level Middle East, exactly. (laughs) And then I took my best friend Harry, who grew up in, he's almost never left Gloucestershire. Right. So I took them with me. And so it was like three idiots hiking across Lebanon. And and. It's called The Downhill Hiking Club, and, it, and that did really well, and it, it, I love it as a book. And my new book I'm writing in the moment is about conspiracy theorists, and I'm off to the edge of the flat earth, and I've just done a road trip through Roswell and stuff like that. I saw your breakfasts. Yeah. Because yeah. I follow you, on t- I, you pop up regularly on my Well, Twitter. I now know what Supertramp were about when they wrote Breakfast, Breakfast in, America. in America. I mean, it, it, you know, America's funny when you go there, because you do get excited about the food, because it kind of everywhere looks like a movie, you know, yeah. especially diners that get right and hamburgers and mm. these massive sandwiches. But actually, you end up with a lot of waste. You never finish anything they give you. A lot of it's quite tasteless, actually, and not great. But the one thing they nail is breakfast. Yeah. Like, and really, you just need to eat a breakfast. You don't really need to eat for the rest of the day in America. Is it men of our age that find this appealing? Because David Badil is... He He's loves, obsessed with he his fry-ups. He loves and his fry-ups, yeah. I got into a back and forth with him because he posted a breakfast in Sheffield, where I'm yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. So we started chatting about that on, on Twitter. But I love see. I don't know why. I just love seeing pictures of other... It I is prefer weird, to see it? that than other people's children. Oh, Show I'm me totally, a picture of your baby. I'm, I do not care. I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, when you know, I think I used to tweet, oh, who are these people taking photographs? of their food yeah. but it's kind of interesting there's a mass the David Baddiel thing his breakfast massive debates as to whether you should have the baked beans in a ramekin or not yeah. like, of course you shouldn't like what is that about I, I don't get it that. oh you like a ramekin don't you I can I, see no, it no no I'm from the north of England <laughs> yeah, I don't know where. I ate it out of a ram- sack 
Yeah, but ramekins just because they're microwaving, isn't it? It's yeah. just a simple thing. But yeah, so no, the breakfast I had in America were astonishing. Uh, just mainly the size was like unbelievable. Like a four egg is a basic starter. You it's know, too like, much egg, that. Isn't it? Oh, you see, I like a lot of egg. Do you? Yeah. I'm giving them up. What I don't like is I've tried every level. Even if I order granola, it comes with a big bowl of fried potatoes. Yeah. It's just, I can't do that in the morning. Too much potato. No, not, no to the potatoes in the morning. Well, I eat them if they're presented, <laughs> so but I don't want no. to. No, but I don't want to be eating <laughs> them. Yeah. With the writing, did yeah. you feel that. It was difficult to get taken seriously as a writer on the back of... Or did people... Because obviously I think if people know your background, yeah. you can be, you well, obviously can be taken seriously. But when you want to move into literary circles... Yeah, it's interesting because I'm not literary circles. I, I genuinely, without blowing my own trumpet, I really do think I'm a good writer in what I do, my travel writing. I basically make myself the story. It's gonzo stuff. I go off, yeah. get in trouble, and I write about it. And I genuinely, they're the books I want to read. And if, if I could just deal with Bill Bryson, I think I'm there, Catboy. But there's firstly, there seems to be a very small couple of sheriffs allowed in town yeah. at one time. Secondly, there is this weird thing where people feel... Because to me, it's totally normal. I've done comedy. I didn't want to be a comedian. Yeah. I, I, it's kind of That was fun. I did politics. I did... I, I kind of like jumping around, but... People, there is a feeling, I think, of jack of all trades, master of none. And I think because I'm so well known as the big mobile guy, I think people do think, what? And now he's writing a book, is he? Like that. So, so I have two completely different fan bases. The people who really like my books tend to have never seen Trigger Happy and vice versa. The people have, well, that's a bit rude, but most people read Trigger Happy can't, can't read. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. But so the whole point of this show is actually saying, well, look, if you like Trigger Happy, you're going to like my books because it's the same sort of humor. Yeah, and if you, you like my books, watch this because a lot of it's abroad and you can see and it's all me. So and I think that's what the show does. I heard you on another podcast recently. Was it a good one? It was good. Oh, it, wasn't it was good. good. I'll, I'll tell you what upset me on it. Oh, good. You said something negative about my hero, Michael Palin. Did I? Now, it was a very off-the-cuff Did look. I? Because I love Michael Palin. Because I was going to say to you, when I heard it, I was like, surely, no, who can say Michael Palin is Britain's the, Tom Hanks? I totally agree with you. There's two, firstly, I've met him a couple of times, and he's just Me nothing too. bad to say. There's, Loveliest guy in the world. There's two things I always say about Michael Palin. Firstly, uh, and it's not aimed at him particularly, but I think the travel show, the TV travel show as a genre, there was that moment where everything in telly had to be open and honest, yeah. and you shouldn't lie. And I remember watching Michael Palin's Around the World in 80 Days, and I know why this happens. It's not his fault. But they'd have things like, you know, Michael Palin would go, we had one hour to catch the train at Alexandria. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd miss our connection to Timbuktu and blah, blah, blah. So you get all this tension, and he just gets it and gets on the train. And then there's this beautiful shot of the train leaving. You go, well, who took that then? And I, I know, always think the same thing. I, I know that how that works and stuff. And just it's the whole concept of TV travel shows. And that's why I tried to, when I did Happy Hour, which I talk about as well, I tried to mix that up a bit because, for instance, when you do a TV travel show, you get there, you get to your hotel in Phnom Penh and the producer will introduce you to your fixer, yeah. your local guide, and you'll have a chat over breakfast and then you go off to your first filming location. But, and, and that first filming location will always be your meeting because you never meet them in the hotel. Yeah. It's always like you're wandering through the inset market and suddenly you bump into someone and they go, I met this chap, he seemed amazing. So, and, so I know it's for the story but it's artifice and everyone knows it is so I like messing with that bit so that was my issue with Michael Palin I can't remember what the other one was but you do like Michael Palin I love Michael Palin I can Palin. handle when I'm talking about climbing my greasy pole in travel writing yeah. I have often said 
there are two people I need to get rid of. One is Bill Bryson, and I make a joke about how I was once driving down a street in London and I saw Michael Palin on the pavement, and I thought... Could have had him. I thought I could just sneeze and the car could just go right. It would have been a terrible accident, yeah. and I'd be one rung up at, at Hatchards. <laughs> That's all it was. Do you, do you keep a diary? Because Michael Palin's diaries are oh, the I I greatest I, books I've ever read in my life. I know, life. I wish I'd kept a diary. No, I don't. But I'm actually, I've just started... Because I used to write a lot. I used to. Well, actually, I kind of did, because I wrote for The Independent for 20 years yeah. and, and every week I'd write 800 words so that's my diary there but I've just started on, on WordPress I've started becoming a blogger because I'm doing one about Dubai actually because I think it's really odd odd mix of coming to Dubai in this weird time where it's so hot and yeah. no one's here while England collapses the government I thought that'd be an interesting while everyone's flown back to England. You've yeah, just yeah, arrived as yeah. the schools have turned out. So I think that's going to be quite... So, yeah, I, I, I write a lot about this Well, stuff. I read your Glastonbury piece. Ah, well, I love that. Because that was my first blog, yeah. And your first Glastonbury. Yes, it was my first Glastonbury. See, I've never been. Yeah. And I've gone through my life... So were you it. like me? So I, I used to pretend exactly I'd what you been. Said, because I love all the music. Yeah. Trigger happy yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. Massive Radiohead fan. Yeah, yeah. Massive Bowie fan. But do you want to camp but and... That's yeah. not what I'm a massive fan of, yeah. no. I don't like being dirty. No. I, I like to know where the toilet is yeah, yeah, yeah. and I like oh, it to be pristine. Trust me, you don't want to know where these toilets were. I heard a great expression today, a uh, great saying. Someone equated choosing the next Tory leader as being the same thing as choosing which portaloo to use at Glastonbury. <laughs> None of it's appealing. Yeah, so I, I, I never wanted to go to Glastonbury. Uh, and then I got asked to open the comedy stage, which was like quite an honour. Yeah. And I had this show ready to go. And I thought, and, and Glassby don't pay well at all, no. really badly, because it's a charity. But they sweeten it a bit, and they say, what we will do is we'll give you f four weekend passes. And, you know, people buy those in a lottery. They're about 300 quid each, but yeah. you can sell them for like a grand or whatever. So I thought, brilliant, I'll get those. I'll just do my one hour, and then I'll sell my weekend passes, quids in. Yes. And then I made the terrible mistake of telling my family I had it, and they, f they all jumped on it. So I had to go down with my family and I thought this is going to be a disaster this is going to be the worst jolly family outing since we drove across the Rocky Mountains in a, in a caravan and if we'd have filmed that the Osbournes would never have happened we, we just argued all the way you've got a TV show title right there The Jolly Family Outing yeah that's quite good it yeah. sounds great yeah I'd watch that jolly bad trips jolly yeah but uh, so anyway we went, to, we went there and I thought I'm going to hate this I really am and actually to be fair we weren't camping the guy who runs the whole comedy and circus area is called Haggis and he's a juggler. Of course he is. Yeah, and he's a juggler. And Haggis, he's actually, he was married to Churchill's great-granddaughter, right. who went very full-on hippie. And they were one of the original setters-up of Glastonbury. So he's Glastonbury yeah. royalty. And he said to me, uh, basically, every year for a week, I become the mayor of a small town, like 40,000 yeah. people in that area, 300,000 people in all of Glastonbury. And he had a little place in Glastonbury. So he said, in the town, he said, stay at my house. So I thought, brilliant, had it all sorted. And it was just crazy. We drove in, we got to the backstage area of the circus and cabaret area, and this nice woman said to me, this is where, this is our safe safe place. And I go, the circus people need a safe place. <laughs> like, what the hell is out there? <laughs> and then we went, and it was amazing. Honestly, I spent three days there. I saw so much music I loved. I've never been in a British situation where there's 300,000 people. I didn't hear one crossword, not one bit mm. of lariness. I know everyone goes on about Glastonbury like it's a cult. Yeah. But genuinely, there is something special about it. So... I went home, I read, I read the article in here one morning when I was prepping for the interview. I went home, I said to my wife, oh, Dom's, he's just been to Glastonbury. I knew you were playing because yeah. I'd seen it on Twitter, but I thought you'd be in and out, yeah. like you said. And read the article, I went home, I went, he's like me. He's never wanted to go toilets, tents, yeah. all of that. 
and I'm like, we should, do, you know, we should take the kids, we should do this. And I'm like, although I did get a house. Yeah, no, that did help. So but this is the thing. No, but having said that, the worst bit was actually getting the house because we had to leave Glastonbury. It's really difficult. No one leaves. Yeah. So you have to get passes and stuff like that. And it also means one of me and the wife have to be fit to drive at the end of the day. <laughs> of course. And so... A, you're sort of sitting there worrying about that. How do you, you make that decision? Well, I just... Do you I just, do that thing that I do? But I'm I, performing tonight. Well, it was a bit of that. No, I'm performing tonight, and then it was post-performing. You know, yeah, I've right, done my bit. Down. Yeah, No, to be fair, it was fine. But what what's weird is just as we're walking back to get our car, as the nightlife starts at about 11 o'clock, just Paul McCartney finishes, and you're walking through. I can't explain to you this. It was like walking through a sort of... Um, what was that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger film... Um, the one where uh, he has a memory and so, anyway, whatever. It's it's just it's like walking through future world. There's like cages. Total Recall. Total Recall. Yeah. It's it's like the street scenes in Total Recall. It's like walking through a movie set. Bizarre. There are full houses and nightclubs with people dancing in cages and like circus barkers. It, honestly, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Can you do this though? Because you still look exactly like Dom Jolly. Yeah. I know you are oh. Dom Jolly. Oh. Thank God. Oh. Well, I had, I had, you, you must still... I, well, again, everyone was very polite there. There's two ways people approach me. Like, they just go, Hello! Yeah. And then they just stand there and expect me to say something nice back. I go, what do you want me to say to that? Or just gasp. It's all very polite. Excuse me, really sorry. Yeah. You know, growing up, I loved you or blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, oh, I love that. That's absolutely great. I had the weirdest bit, though. I'm sitting in the pyramid stage. This band called Haim comes out, H-A-I-M. We're all on a bit of a downer because Greta Thunberg's been on just before and told us we're all going to die in a fiery furnace. You want that yeah. when you're at Glass So Haim come on going, well, thanks. And they start playing, and they're this sort of girl band, guitars attitude. Yeah. And halfway through, they have this little bit where... Clearly, she takes a f- the lead singer takes a phone call from this guy called Brad, and Brad's clearly an ex-boyfriend. And she's the whole point of this is I'm telling Brad I can't talk to you, Brad, because I'm playing to these. You know, it's all this stuff. So I get that, and so I'm just sitting watching it, and I've had a couple of you know libations, and I'm feeling very relaxed in the yeah. afternoon, and I'm sitting watching. Suddenly. The phone call comes on. I didn't know it's going to happen. The ringtone they use is my Nokia ring tune, and it's playing on the pyramid stage speakers, and it's going da 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 And she lets it ring four times all around me. No one knows I'm there because I'm wearing a terrible disguise of a hat and sunglasses. Yeah. Everyone goes, hello, I'm at Glastonbury. It's, it's rubbish. rubbish. <laughs> and I freak out, and I look up. They then spot me, and they're like, whoa, maybe he is doing something. And I'm meanwhile thinking, did I agree to do something with Haim? Am I supposed to be on the stage? It was yeah. all just, it was amazing. It was great. Is it a poison chalice? What, the phone? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, obviously. You know, like Radiohead and uh, second time I mentioned him. Yeah. They stopped playing Creep. Yes. Well, Everybody wants to hear Creep. Well, I sort of get that. Uh, you know, I mean, what irritates me the most? I mean, I love the fact that, you know, I've done something everyone knows me for. That's great. Yeah. Uh, my catchphrase is hello. It's not the greatest, but there you go. When it you say it's it not the greatest, it's very memorable. It is very memorable. <laughs> and people use it a lot. I wish yeah. I could monetize it. When that ringtone goes off, it's a constant, like, it's like a Pavlovian dog reaction yeah. for my thing. Yeah. All that's great. The only thing that annoys me, and it genuinely annoys me, so I'll get tweeted this now, but it's when people go, oh, only one joke. And I go, one joke? Yeah. Do you know how many jokes there were in tr- each trigger happy, individual, funny, that I could put up against any other thing and make people laugh? So the fact that, because I think a lot of people, if they haven't seen trigger happy, they knew about the phone. And yeah. that's, so that's all they think about. And the phone's the least interesting thing I've done personally. On the other hand, it's paid my bills for 20 years. So can't cry. Great intro. Yeah, it is a great intro, but Fantastic. I won't be using it on the live show. See, I'm, I'm like Radiohead with Crete. I come on and I just let everyone know if you're here. So firstly, I know at every show, 
I can see them in the oh, audience. They, they start. So annoying. They start fiddling with the phone, and I can see they're they're going. Oh, I'm going to do it. And I, it's not that I mind. I just think they. I can see in their faces. They think they're the first person ever in the world to do it. I go. Do you know how many times people <laughs> do that to me? So I'm going to be there on Friday. Are you? So why don't we do like this it? thing? If that starts happening, and anybody does it. Oh. I'll just get up and give you a hundred dirhams, and you say, "I've won a bet." There we go. No. I knew that would come. I've got. I've got every answer for that. It's great. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, if the crowd are a bit lively before I'm coming on, I can hear. I was in Falmouth or somewhere. And I could hear this woman. She'd come straight from the bar. And before I was even on stage, she was just going, oh, no! Oh, no. So I thought, oh, how am I going to deal with this? So in the end, I just came out. I said, look, I know what's happening here. I think we've all heard. So why don't we just all get it of our system? So I made the whole crowd yeah. shout, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm at Dom Jolly. It's rubbish. And that calmed them all down. And it got them out. And of course, was that great. was Sonia who's booked you for this <laughs> yes, game. it was. It great was. how these relationships It was unbelievably start. sober now, yeah. So the show Holiday Snaps, so there's video, there's a bit of everything in it? Oh, or? no, it's a proper, I mean, it's a two-hour show. I've done, I've been touring... England with this now for three years because of the lockdown and stuff. Yeah. It is tight. I'm telling you, if you're going to come see this show, now is, t- I mean, I, I know it backwards. It's really funny. There's clips of comedy, but there's also like all the travel. I've been to 106 countries and I got photos and video clips from all these places. So it basically tells my life story, but in it, it is funny and I know this will worry people. People come out and go, do you know what? I learned a lot from that, which for me would make me think I'm not going to that. But it, there's, no, no, there's no. quite a lot of facts in it. Like you said, is yeah. it's easy to... I, I'm like this with my wife yeah. because I don't know if Trigger Happy was blokey TV. You know, it was a I bit... I think more 65... Yeah, 35. but you know, yeah. my wife does that thing. She was the same. Yeah, she was the same with Jackass, which I find hilarious. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I watch any of that sort yeah, yeah. of stuff. And and I'm like, no, no, no. There's a lot more to it. Trigger and, was less blokey than Jackass. Jackass was a bit more oh, frat boy. Yeah, yeah. very, yeah. very much so. Yeah. But unsophisticated. With my wife, she loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> no, sophisticated. No I'm big art. phone on uh, Jackass. <laughs> yeah, apart yes. from the big phone. <laughs> um, but she loves the music. She yeah. loves all of that. That's good. She should love it. Yeah. Oh, she will. Is she coming? No, but it's, it's that barrier of. Oh, she's not coming. Oh, no, no, she's coming. Yeah, oh, she'll no, love no, it. Don't, don't worry. She'll, she'll love it. Okay, but, I'm going to point her out. Can I call her Mrs. Catboy or does she have a name? Laura. Laura, Laura Catboy. Oh, embarrass her as much as you like, oh, Laura. Well, oh, good. That's great. Laura, I'll, I'll write everything down for okay. you. <laughs> Knock please, yourself out. Please, that'd be great. I'm like, I'm the same age as you. Yeah. I argue as much as you probably do with your wife. Yeah. My wife thinks... I don't think so. I'm an idiot just as much oh, as your wife no, probably thinks think so. you are. So I've I, made a Canadian angry. That's, I, that's impossible. I'll be having an argument on the way home in that taxi regardless of what you do that night. So you knock yourself out. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I just love arguing. So, but yeah, mate, it's been brilliant. It's just lovely speaking. I, I've got so much more I wanted to talk to you about. Would well, you know Twitch? what I'm really chuffed about? Just before we started this, you said you'd and you'd done a lot of research, which is very. I just love it when people actually bother, and you did. Uh, but you hadn't seen World Shut Your Mouth, and I think World Shut Your Mouth. It's the show I did for the BBC. is is better than Trigger Happy, yeah. but no one's seen it. And one of the main reasons you should come to this show is because I show you my favourite clips from that, but I also explain why you probably haven't seen it, and it is a great story. So. The stuff we were talking about with the the, the bits you've never been able to use. Oh, Do you think yeah. you will ever? Well, will it ever see the light of day? Again, will you reach boy, an if, age if, where you think if, if I was if I was Michael Palin, like he probably has archivists and everything he's ever done put away in an archive. I don't even know where all the trigger happy stuff is. I think it is in some vault somewhere. I'm telling you now, though, if suddenly the law changed about consent, yeah. not. About, not that, not, not hashtag that, me not too. That, not hashtag me too, about hashtag big phone consent. <laughs> hashtag big phone consent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm starting that. that I would, I'd have six more series of Trigger Happy, and there was so much stuff. But also I would love to go back into it now because and make a documentary about it, but I'm not that organised a person. Weirdly, Sam, who I did Trigger Happy with, and we haven't worked together for 20 years, but we're coming back together for this movie, 
uh, Sam is that organized. He's, you know, very... He's that guy. Yeah, well, that's why we work so well, because I'm yeah. just like, I ah, go for it. And Sam is just absolutely anally retentive. So yeah. uh, who knows? Something might happen. And the film? Yeah, well, I can't say anything about it because I haven't signed... What can si- we say? What's the exclusive? Well, I haven't signed it. That's the point. And so I hate saying this and it won't happen, but I have a funny feeling it is going to happen. The main point of it is, uh, for 20 years, we were offered big film deals after Trigger Happy, but it was all the same sort of thing. And it, much as Sasha's done brilliantly, the, the Ali G movie was awful. It was like, yeah. take what's good about Ali G and make it into a story. And all our film offers were like, the big mobile guy has a romance. And I go, no, I just want to make a bigger, funnier Trigger Happy and, and I don't want a storyline. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And they kept saying you can't do it. Now we've had Jackass, the fourth film with no storyline, and they still don't get it. But the, the takeaway from it is if you liked watching Trigger Happy TV, come and be in the movie. Because we've got scenes, cinematic scenes, 2,000 people. And rather than hiring extras, I want fans to come in and I want them to film themselves giving the worst excuse ever for not coming to work uh, and then sending them in. And we'll use all part of that and we're going to have a bit of a documentary element in it as well. I love it. I've got great ideas for it though. When's this coming out? When can we expect it? Well, if it works, if everything gets signed and I'm waiting, then we will film this next spring and then so it'll be out probably the year after that. I love... Yeah that you never stop doing stuff. I, I love can't. it's the writing, it's the filming, it's <laughs> Twitch that should, we should have during lockdown. Oh god, yeah. Has that all disappeared? What? You twi- I went onto your Twitch there's nothing there anymore. Well, it's it's the- because it's because the guy who was I b- was producing me and like we met we never met in real life. Yeah. We just met in lockdown and then he set me up on Twitch and stuff. He just disappeared. Right. He just uh, and he's got all my codes to get on Twitch. I can't get on it's Twitch. Bizarre. But it's probably a good thing, you know. It was yeah. perfect for them. Yeah. But yeah. I, I felt I was, I, was, I was an old man on a young medium there. Yeah, it's the first time I felt this, this one's not for me. Because it's so gay. It's not about games. It used to be Twitch, all yeah. about games. And I play video games, but not to the ex- obsessive no, no. extent. And I did feel there was a language that I didn't understand. I bought all the gear uh, uh, to start doing it. And I just went, I can't. Be, it's I, weird. It's, but you're already doing it sort of thing. It's like, yeah. you know. But, I'm, uh, but, but it's weird. One of the people I met on Twitch turns out to be a massive Trigger fan. He came on one day. I had no everyone was like, Oh my god, he's in the room, Gavin's in the room. I was who's Gavin? Yes. He was from the slow mo guys. And the right. slow mo guys are these guys on YouTube that just film stuff in slow mo. They're British, but in America, they got sixteen million subscribers. And Gavin sent me this sweet thing showing how the whole reason he does what he does in America is because he started doing little trigger happy yeah. things. So when I did my road trip for my new book, I went to Austin and I stayed with him. I'd never met him before. I just knocked on his door, Spooky. stayed with him three days at the best time. So all those things I love. Can I you see to. yourself doing this? You're fifty Four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm 54. Yeah. 54 now. Yeah. If I'd have said to you 30 years ago when this was all starting, you're still going to be messing about like this. Well, I have having to. a laugh. Well, firstly, I have to because I've spent all my money. Uh, I need did to. You make... moved to Dubai. That's where I did. <laughs> yeah, that, and I need to make money, which is. Uh, but that's fine because it, it keeps you hungry and it, and it makes you. You know, like I always used to wonder why people get lazy and make rubbish. And is it's there actually... a cutoff? Uh, will you be in your 70s if, I, if no, the offers I'm, are there? Will you be in your 70s? I'm never going to be someone that just lying around. I need to do things. Otherwise, I go crazy. So, no, yeah. I'll always be doing stuff. But if I really could do just one thing, it would be write travel books. If I could earn my living just from doing that uh, and I could just get that car to hit Palin and do something about Bryson, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm joking about this. I don't want to kill either of them. Just no, hope they no, die no. of a natural death soon. Yeah, well... well. <laughs> <laughs> Please, if that happens before this podcast, because I'll be devastated. Dom, 
Brilliant. Thanks, Always Catboy. great. Thank you. I've got my new book, which I didn't tell you about, just very quickly. It's a travel book around England. Uh, which You're driving I around England? No, I've done it. I've I already, did want to talk to you about I've, that. Yeah, I've already done it. But anyway, that, I'll talk about that. You should that. call it Notes from a Small Island. Yes, I should. <laughs> but yeah, it is that. No, it's called Such Miserable Weather. Catboy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast. Well, a massive thank you to Dom Jolly for coming into the studio for that chat. It went on way longer than I expected. I'm a massive fan, as you could probably tell. And he's a great guy. Uh, search him online for all his books. And uh, there's loads of clips of his shows that he was talking about on YouTube as well. I'm going to be back very soon with episode two of Catboy Talks Funny. Do give it a like. Do give it five stars. Leave a little review if you've enjoyed it. If you've not enjoyed it, don't bother with the stars and the review. And I'll see you next time. Love you both. Bye. Catboy Talks Funny, a Dubai 92 podcast.